this Sunday, we're going to lead right into tenderly, but hopefully clearly, into a challenge that all of us need to arise to in this season. You know, your Thanksgiving will be blessed not because of the beauty of your table, though I'm sure it is, or the abundance or the lack of food. No, it's the health of the relationships around the table that truly makes it incredible or incredibly painful. Heather Thompson Day says that our problem isn't simply the problem. We often don't have people to guide us through them, which is the true or greater problem. I want everyone to do something with me. I want you to take your fists and I want you to close them like this. Whether you're here or you're at home, close your fists. And then I want you to do something else. I want you to open them and put them on your lap. And I want you to try to keep your hands open the entire message. Don't cross your arms. I'm going to try to try. Try. It's remarkable sometimes how our exterior posture, sometimes it's just comfort, and other times it can match what's going on on the inside. So I want you to try to remain open. Because this Thanksgiving, uh, another big thank you that I want to give is in January, in January, sorry, in September, I'm a little ahead of myself. In September, uh, we put a, a website together, a web page together, just lifecenter.org slash vision, and we invited you to share with us where you see God is at work, where you see the enemies at work, and maybe what you're just seeing in this season in general. And you can still go on and contribute to that, and we'd be deeply appreciative. However, we've heard from a good number of you and we've heard from every generation within the church. So again, it's not closed. It's still there. It's still open. Where we're actually going to be taking it next, starting next week, is where do you think the church of Jesus needs to ask forgiveness of the world around us? But before we get there, we want to stay here. And, and one of the threads that we are seeing in all of the responses is actually quite profound. Teenagers are saying to us that, uh, I don't think you know what it is like to be a teenager in the world today. Those in their 20s and 30s are saying, actually, you need to know that. I'm not sure that you know what it's like to be in your 20s and 30s and grow up in the, the world today. Singles are saying, I don't, I don't think you, you see us. I don't think you know what it's like growing up in the world today. And those who are married saying, I'm not quite sure you see families. I'm not sure if you know what it's like to grow up in the world today. And those in their 30s, 40s, 50s are saying the same thing. And those up to their hundreds are saying, the same thing. I don't know if you know what it's like to be a senior in the world today. And so one thing that we can see is every generation feels uniquely unseen, yet every single generation is struggling with the same thing. We can't see one another, and we all feel unseen. Here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Today's message is going to be sandwiched between two stories. Here is story number one. A number of years ago, I was in relationship with a younger leader, and this younger leader was going to make a different decision with their life, and they couched it in beautiful spiritual language, wonderful spiritual language. I mean, you couldn't find fault with it. Only the danger in their decision was they were just about to disconnect from every meaningful relationship that they had known. And that is always, always, always the way in which the enemy moves, not God. Now, God, sometimes we have to pull back and we have to set healthy boundaries and that's all God. But to totally disconnect 
is never the way of Jesus. So I watched this leader use all the spiritual language they could. Again, the only problem is, is this. Oftentimes in our lives, oftentimes in our lives, when God begins to move, the enemy will simultaneously begin to move. And C.S. Lewis said something profound, that the greatest problem with Christians when it comes to talking about the enemy is one of two extremes. Either we ignore him entirely or we, oh, we make everything about him and excuse our own responsibility. And so we want to hold this intention because the young leader that I'm talking about is myself. God works really hard to surround you with people that you are going to need, not only in this season, but in the season ahead. And when the enemy desires to move in your life, he will always seek to disconnect you from the relationships that you may not see a need in this season because they're for another season. This is something that we can profoundly see. Jesus knew this would be a profound challenge, and so he prayed, keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then Jesus prays for us. Watch what he says. John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only. So Jesus is saying, I'm not just praying for the disciples sitting in front of me, but also for those who will believe in me, future, in the, in the future, through their word. So through the word of the disciple, those who will come to know who I am, I am praying that they also would be one, that they would be one with one another. You see, if I asked you to list the greatest miracles that Jesus ever performed, you might mention a man that was born blind who regained his sight, or a woman who had an issue of blood for over a decade and she just touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's miraculously healed. You may talk about someone who is so filled with the enemy that they are pushed out of community. You might talk about him feeding 5,000 or even his friend Lazarus who was dead, who Jesus rose him, or he rose him back to life. And these are all extraordinary miracles and you wouldn't be wrong because they're awe-inspiring moments. Yet the most overlooked miracle in the life and ministry of Jesus was how he took 12 people who under no other circumstance would find themselves in relationship with one another and forged them into a community. It took every bit the same power of the Holy Spirit to cast a demon out of someone to heal somebody else's blindness as it did to create an environment where genuine community can happen in people who would never, under any other circumstances, connect, become a community. Whether you're here or whether you're at home, a little difficult if you're at home, but you can play along. If you're here, take a moment and look around. What is our common denominator here? Christ. Outside of Jesus, we may never cross paths with one another, but in Christ, we are. And as you look around, you're going to see diversity, difference, different generations, different beliefs, different perspectives. And in the Spirit of God, or different spiritual gifts, and in the Holy Spirit, this is exactly how we are designed to be as a community. 
But when we walk not in the Spirit, but in our flesh, in what we see, what we feel, what we think, and what we do, the very gift of God can become something other in our lives. You see, we all see others and see the world through the lens of our spiritual gift. And in receiving your feedback, we've heard that. And that was to be expected, and it's normal. But what we didn't expect to see, what I didn't expect to receive in your feedback is how profoundly lonely many of you are. How unseen you feel. How you can come into a church like this for years and not know anybody. Or how you can walk into a church and not feel loved but feel judged. That you can get maybe a part of a small group and the small group doesn't extend the same kindness that Jesus does towards you. They just want to fix you. They don't want to understand you. And these are things that we must wrestle with because for followers of Christ, each one of us, we don't need hundreds. In fact, we don't even need 10. We need one or two meaningful relationships in our lives. And God is going to put us in diverse community with people who see the world different than we do. And it's going to challenge some things in us. And if we can listen, not always just to agree, but to understand one another, God can do things that are significant. Meaningful relationships are with fellow followers of Jesus. And you need to have relationships with people who don't know Jesus too. Absolutely. But meaningful relationships are with fellow followers of Jesus who you enjoy being around and desire to become like in at least one aspect of their Christ-like character, or maybe you share a spiritual gift and they're a little further down the road and you want to grow. Now, if you recall going back to week one, some of you were like, I don't recall, I wasn't here, that's okay, I'll fill you in. As I said a moment ago, we all see others in the world through the lens of our own spiritual gifting through our own background, through our own diversity. But here's what's also true. We all see others in the world around us also by our wounding. The areas where God has not yet healed us or we have not let God move in our lives. Some of us have profound issues of trust and so it's not that people are not present. It is that we will not actually extend vulnerability And there's really only two pains that we experience in life. The pain of being wounded when we are vulnerable and we share something with somebody and they use it as a weapon against us. We've all experienced this. Or we experience the pain of being alone and being isolated. We just usually have to choose which one is more tolerable. Moments ago, we shared how miraculously Jesus created an environment where meaningful relationships with the disciples can be developed. And I mean every word that I just said there. Jesus could do one thing. He could take these 12 guys, one who was administrative, Matthew, John who was caring, Peter who was faith-filled. He could take one who was a tax collector, who everybody hated then as much as they do today, Nobody loves calling CRA. Nobody likes getting emails from CRA. Even at tax return time, it's always like, wait a minute. Good news or bad news? 
Well, Jesus takes all these people, Matthew, John, Peter, and later Barnabas, who encourages, and he puts them in community. Here's what Jesus can't do, though. Jesus cannot make them friends. He can put them in an environment where relationships can develop, but he can't actually make friends one with another. That is something that only that they can do. And they don't do it perfectly. That should give us great hope because they have Jesus right in their midst and they still mess it up. And we too do also mess it up from time to time, from minute to minute, from post to post, from second to second sometimes. Loved ones, if there is a miracle that we are believing God for in this time and in this season, it is the miracle of community. It is the miracle of being made one. It is the miracle that when I sit knee to knee, preferably a little bit of space between our knees, thank you very much, but when we sit knee to knee, when you look at me and I look at you, before I open my mouth and before you open yours, what you believe about me and what I believe about you is important. But as Christ followers, the moment we gave our lives to Christ, what God believes about us is of more importance than what I believe about you and you believe about me. I'm not saying this has of no importance. I'm saying there's a higher authority. There's a higher view. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the moment that you and I give our lives to Christ, you know what we are? We're family. My goodness, we're dysfunctional. <laughs> but we're family. We're family. And one day we're all going to be sitting around a table and we're going to look around and we're going to go, oh my gosh, how'd they let so-and-so in? <laughs> and someone's going to be looking down the table saying the same thing. They're only thinking about you. How'd they let you in? And the only reason we're around the table is because of Jesus and his work in our hearts and lives. That's a future table called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if that's our destiny, then why would we as the church not work for it to be our reality now? On earth as it is in heaven. It's hard though. Because this miracle or this move of God, it starts in a heart, your heart, before it shows up in a home. It starts in a heart before it shows up in the house of God. For all the parents who had their kids dedicated, it starts in the heart of a parent before it shows up in a home because personal rootedness always precedes corporate revival. Personal rootedness, which is what I was just talking about, what I believe about you and what you believe about me, this root, what I root in. And if I root in bitterness, if I root in unforgiveness, if I root in every injustice, which might be true, but if I root in them, then that is the fruit of my life. And I don't know that from theory. I know that from experience. There is a five-year season of my life where I rooted in woundedness. And guess what? When I rooted in woundedness, the ones who wounded me were not affected. 
They weren't even aware. But I was profoundly influenced. God moves. Has anyone here in their life ever just been doing good? Can I see your hands, please? Nobody been doing good? I do understand. It's been a hard season. If that was the most truthful moment we just had in church in a long time. Anybody here just been doing good? I, I don't even remember good. <laughs> like, like, remind me what good is like. Hypothetically, pretend you were doing good. And in love, the Lord came along to you and said, I want to talk to you about this area right here. And the area that he's talking to you about is a painful area. Sorry about that. <laughs> just, just wanted to give pause in case the Lord wanted to, you know, call out something in my life. I'm willing and available. You see, some of us have a belief that is wrong, that God will never surface something that is painful in our lives. God will never surface something that is painful. In fact, if we see things that are painful, that's not a move of God. But loved ones, oftentimes the most profound moves of God start with Him revealing something that is painful that needs to be healed. It is the Holy Spirit's job to reveal what needs to be healed. It is the devil's job to keep it concealed where we say to one another, how you doing? How am I doing? How you doing? I'm fine. And under the surface, it ain't fine. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't not appreciate that response because I don't like the alternative, like, how you doing? Let me air every grievance since I was nine. I don't appreciate that one either because I was like, oh, this was just like, how you doing? I'm good, good. So I like our kind of like cultural thing here, but here's what I'm saying. You and I need meaningful relationships where we come into them and we say, I'm not okay. My family's not okay. I'm not fine. And here's what makes the relationship meaningful. The person that you share that has to resist one thing. Are you ready for it? Don't try to fix the other person. Some of you are like, no, I'm not clapping that. That's my job. I'm a fixer. I'm a spiritual fixer. Here's what is profound that I've experienced in my life. What actually makes a relationship so meaningful is not that the person that you're disclosing to can't see, but that they're willing to stay in the story with you, to go on a little journey with you so that you can see what the Holy Spirit is putting His hand and His finger and touching in your heart and life. Here's what I've found. Where God begins to move in our hearts, in our city, in our nation, in our society, often isn't where we think He should start. He starts somewhere else. 
Sometimes he touches things that we think are insignificant, but they are actually the root of the issue. We think it's over there, but God knows it's over here. And this is what he does. And so sometimes, loved ones, in our rush to fix one another, we are working against the Spirit of God. Because where God is working, we're trying to go, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And the Holy Spirit is going, they're not fine. Because he sees something in your purpose, in your future, that needs to get healed in this season, or you can't step into this season. I hear church after church after church after church say things or say words like, we want to see the harvest come in. We want to see the prodigal come home. We want to see, you know, just revival, flood the church and flood the streets. And I say yes and I say men. But here's the thing. If prodigals come home, do we have the character of the father or are we going to point out every which way they were wrong for wanting in the first place? Sign me up as a leader in healing. I am not telling to you this as an expert. I am a fellow sojourner on the way of Jesus. Because Pete Scasario, he says this. So personal root, before I get there, personal rootedness always precedes corporate revival. But personal rootedness always reveals relational problems. And I know it's, look at, look at. I know you don't have these issues but I know people in other churches really do, and you need to share this with them. <laughs> not you. You're the intercessors. You're the go-between. It's not you. I know. But people at other churches, man, do they need it. The moment you root in Jesus, guess what? Whatever isn't of Jesus gets uprooted in your life. And usually what gets uprooted is oftentimes how unhealthy we are. And here's what we've done in the West. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overgrow in my spiritual gifting so you don't see how relationally unhealthy I am over here. So I'm going to preach, pray, and prophesy till the sun comes home. I'm going to do all these things so you look over here so you never look under here. But we have to, in this day and age, we have to normalize it. I heard a pastor say this. I'm going to quote two things from pastors back to back here. I heard a pastor say this. It isn't that the world doesn't believe. It isn't that the world doesn't believe in the church anymore. You know what the world is saying to us? We don't believe that you believe what you say you believe. That's the problem. We don't believe anymore that you say that I don't need any other power but the power of God when you are obsessed with political power. We don't believe what you say you believe. We don't believe that's what you believe. Because if you did, things would be different. Oh, that feedback stinks. But we need it. Peter Siscario, I've said his name three times and I haven't said what he said, and I'm going to say what he said. He said this, spiritual maturity and relational health are linked. One can't be relationally dysfunctioned or unhealthy and call themselves spiritually mature. Doesn't matter how much of the Bible you can quote, if you use it as a weapon and not as an act of love, then it's immaturity. If you use it to change everybody else but never apply it to your own heart, that's not spiritual maturity. That's immaturity. 
One author, another author famously remarked, everybody's normal until you get to know them. <laughs> Turn the person beside you with love in your eyes and affection in your heart. Look them right in the eyeballs. Say, what a weirdo. <laughs> Endearingly, on the chat, type the person behind you or in front of you in the chat, just say, what a weirdo. Sometimes to have meaningful relationships, we need to change our expectations. Some of you, by the way, since I've been sharing this message, uh, I just want to just note out that your your hands have gone from open to to (laughs) closed to to, to this. And I'm not saying that's an issue. I'm saying it might be. (laughs) I'm not saying it is. I don't know you. You don't know me. And I can't talk to you that way. I'm just saying it might be. Some of us are longing for friendship, but we have to start with fellowship. You know what fellowship is? It's it's people in our lives who share the same belief and mission. Uh, Two fellows in a ship. Actually, not a joke. That's really just what fellowship is. <laughs> like, so I'm like, that's a good one. I'm not trying to be funny. It's just two fellows in a ship rowing in a direction that's leading them towards a common destination. That's all fellowship is. It's not necessarily friendships. It's a start, though. It's a ship. Uh, we need relationships. We need people that we're real with, and they can be real with us. One of the greatest gifts each of our four kids give us is that they're real and they're honest with us. Sometimes I'd rather not know. But what a gift it is that they give to us. One of the greatest gifts hopefully we return to our children is being honest when that, 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 that we, we mess up a lot as parents. I hope that's a gift, not that we mess up, but that we acknowledge it. Uh, We need mentorship. We need people pouring into us. Did you know that resilient disciples of Christ, 77% of them, they have one relationship with somebody of of another generation that the generation they're a part of, and it becomes super glue in their lives. And here's what's remarkable. The person in the other generation doesn't have to understand everything about your generation. All they have to do is love you. Say it again. The person in another generation doesn't have to know everything and understand everything about your generation. Here's what I'm saying by not saying it. If you begin to engage in relationships with people who in different generations, guess what? They don't say things the way that you need to say things. And I'm not, I'm not excluding or, or excusing behavior that needs to be confessed, repented of, and redeemed in Christ. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they may not know all the buzzwords. But can we work and walk together? People who feel alone feel they only know their generation and no one else beyond it. So sometimes we don't have the friendships that we need because we have expectations that, man, I'm going to come to this church and then I'm going to make a friend. I'm going to make lots of friends. But you may have to start with fellowship and relationships. And we can't create that, but we can create the environment where it can potentially happen. 
But I also want to be really clear and really tender here. In some cases, the very thing we want, it is our own relational unhealth that is making it profoundly difficult for others to be our friends. And until we acknowledge and own that there may be some things in us that God has to heal, and maybe we stop blaming everyone and everything else and say, God, can you grow me not only in spiritual maturity, but can you also grow me to be more emotionally healthy so that I can actually sustain friendships in my life? To be a church where meaningful relationships can be cultivated is going to take us allowing Jesus to make us one. Hence, another miracle. Well, in Christ, we're already one. Now we got to work out our oneness. But it's also going to allow, it also means you allowing Jesus to make you relationally healthier. Me too. Me too. I have a friend who's a pastor. Another one. His name's Billy Kennedy. And one day, um, one day somebody in his community gave their lives to Christ, and everyone said, Amen. whatever you want to say. And the person who gave their lives to Christ was the individual who owned the local strip club. And this individual gave their lives to Christ, and they had a, a spouse and a family. And you can imagine that um, it's problematic when the individual who owns the local strip club starts coming to church. It's problematic because some of the people he walks into church and says, hey, I know you. Everyone comes into church next Sunday with those glasses, the big nose, and the muscle. <laughs> but anyways, now, it had been three months where this individual had been coming to, to the church, and Billy was frustrated because the church had an outreach ministering to women who have been victimized by what this guy does. And so you've got within the church some people who are pretty upset because he's not changing on the outside. He still owns his club. And one day he made an appointment with Billy and said, I need to meet with you. And Billy, as the pastor, thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let's meet. In the middle of the meeting, the man became emotional. And he said, I have to confess something that the Lord is put on my heart and Billy kind of just sat back pastoral tried to be as blank as he could and was like mm. and the man said these words the Holy Spirit is bringing deep conviction to something in my life and I need to confess it for years at my club I've been watering down the beer and that's not okay How do you respond? <laughs> oh. 
on the scale of issues, that's, that's not the one. <laughs> like I... But Billy felt the Holy Spirit check his heart. And he just heard this little whisper. Can you trust that I am working in this life? Can you trust that where the Holy Spirit begins to work is not the end of the story, it's just the beginning of it? Can you trust and see that yes, now there's a problem with the club that he owns and alcoholism and the yes, it's getting confusing and messy? Are you gonna see that? Or are you going to see that this young sheep can hear my voice of conviction? And Billy felt the check from the Lord and he just said, then you need to make that right. And he tells this story in churches and then here's what he does. He tells the story and then he ends his sermon and he walks off and he doesn't give the end of the story. And all the Christians are like, that's not how we do testimonies. I won't be that mean to you. Did the man sell the club? Yes. Did it take longer than Billy wanted? Yes. Was the man convicted the very first day he gave his life to Christ about what he did? Yes. Loved ones, listen. The man knew Jesus as savior, not as provider. He knew Jesus saved his sin. He had no idea, can I sell this? Can I let this go? Can I, can I let go? If I let go of this, how am I going to feed for my own family? How am I? He had no idea. He did not know who God was his provider. And here's what he said to Billy. I wasn't testing you. But if you would have judged me that day, I never would have returned to your church. Because what I was looking for was a meaningful relationship, not another place of judgment. Because I've experienced it my whole life, and why do you think I ended up doing what I was doing? Loved ones, I know I've taken much of your time today, a little over. But no one is ever criticized into being more like Jesus. However, every new tomorrow always grows from the soil of where God is at work today. Some of us are having conversations in church. When the harvest comes in, we're not even at the hard part yet. We almost blew apart at vaccines. I'm serious. We almost divided over vaccines. We have fundamental and profound beliefs that are dividing us. To become emotionally healthy doesn't mean that things don't need to change, but what it means is that the sound that the world hears is not you become more like me, it is us becoming more like Christ. And I don't believe we can do it perfectly, but I think we can do it in humility. And so today I am profoundly thankful for you. 
even those of you in here that are deeply different from me. There's a lot of morons out there in the world today. And sometimes I'm the leader of the tribe. And it's erroneous for me to think I'm not. But I am overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly filled with gratitude that this Thanksgiving, Jesus is praying for us to be one. You know why? Because do we ever need him to be praying for us? But he's not merely the God who prays. He's the God who answers prayer. And so on a day set aside for us to give thanks from the bottom of my and our collective team's heart, may we with profound gratitude say to each of you a specific thank you. Thank you for helping us see and for being to be more like Jesus. Because when I think about his kingdom, here's what I think is beautiful. God's kingdom will not be full of people who I deem worthy to get in. No. God's kingdom is full of people who are not worthy, who are not worthy to be in, who receive the gift of grace, such as all of us. Oh, his kingdom is glorious. It is better than we can possibly imagine. And if we want to see on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, grow us up to be more like you.